Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome in to the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We are going to talk about this 33-29 Week 1 loss for your Cleveland Browns. Before we do so, I want to talk to you real quick about sponsors of this podcast on the Blue Wire Network, which is known as TickPick, T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K. TickPick is the original no-fee site who will help you secure tickets without those ridiculous fees that you see other places charging you that oftentimes double the actual cost that is advertised. TickPick is one of the few that will actually honor a fantastic system where if you find a seat of cheaper value than what they offer, they'll match 110% of the cost in that value. So if you're going to the Texans home opener next week or you're going to the Bears game after that, use TickPick. Use my promo code BREAKDOWN. That's TickPick.com slash BREAKDOWN. Using the promo code BREAKDOWN, get 10%. Sorry, get $10. You might end up doing better if you use the $10, depending on where you sit at the game. Again, use the promo code BREAKDOWN, get $10 off your first order on TickPick. Again, $10. So, we're breaking down the Browns' 33-29 loss. Uh, I have pages and pages of notes from watching it live and re-watching it now. Uh, It's hard to... It's almost hard to put into words sort of what I want to say and how I want to come across on so many different things. You know, it's... It's a game that was really frustrating because it felt like, especially when it got to two points in the game, halftime I thought the Browns had a great opportunity, especially up 22. Actually, I'll backtrack a little bit. Right before half, right, the Browns are up 22-10 and they're marching. Baker hits Najoku on that sort of what I would call an out-and-up. It's probably different names in different playbooks, but he puts the ball up to him on the on the right side of the field, up the numbers, a fantastic throw and catch. Puts the ball at about the 35-yard line, just under a minute. Browns still have two timeouts at the 35-yard line. I thought, okay, this is what good offenses do, man. In a situation where you took over the football at your one-yard line. And again, the Donovan Peoples-Jones freakout that happened on that punt, right? Uh, I've been corrected thanks to my old college coach and now friend, Andy Bentley, shout out. Listen, and I'm not you can you can say what you want. Maybe you guys are geniuses and knew this right away. Even Chiefs players on the field didn't know this if you watched their reaction. So guys who were coached up on the special teams uh units in the NFL didn't know this rule. So this is a good refresher for everybody. Okay. On a punt, there's a weird rule on a punt. All right, when the ball touches the punt team who is pursuing obviously the receiver of the football, the guy trying to, you know, obviously catch the punt. If it touches that player, that ball is still live, and at the point at which it's touched, you can make a decision if the Browns were to, in that scenario, Donovan Peoples-Jones takes that football. I don't care if Donovan Peoples-Jones takes it throws it, th- and, and throws it 30 feet into the stands, or if he takes it and, and runs uh, you know, out of the back of the end zone. It doesn't matter. You can. It's literally a no-risk play at that point because you have an option after the play to take the football where it was touched by the punt team or 
you can take the result of whatever you did with it. So after Donovan Peoples-Jones recognized that that football hit a Kansas City Chiefs player and then the hands obviously got on the football before he tried to rip it away, he knew that there was no repercussion. So obviously, special teams guys should be coached to get down there, cover the ball, pick it up, hand it to the officials. Now, if a ball just gets punted, touchdown, you know, a, a player touches it and it just sits there and it's dead and no one's interacting with the football, the ref will blow it dead. But again, in that scenario... So if Donovan Peoples-Jones would have ripped it away from the Kansas City player covering that ball and taken it 30 yards up the field, you get a choice of the result of your outcome of the of the play with the football or taking it at the point at which it was touched. So that was no risk, just a reminder. But anyway, it was 22-10. to 10. Browns have it at the 35, two timeouts, an opportunity to, at the minimum, at the minimum, get three points on the board, it felt like. They did not. Uh, they did not have any success. They threw a first down throw out of bounds off of a scramble drill. Second down, uh, I believe, was a throw to, to Anthony Schwartz on a, on a little pick scheme out of a three man uh, eleven personnel trip side concept. Where if he just kept running vertically, it might have been a touchdown. Third down, you get a holding call, which pushes you ten yards back. I thought two timeouts. They could have sprinkled in a nice little first down run play or a screen play, something where if you were tackled for three or four yards, you at least could still use a timeout. It just kind of felt like they put all their eggs in the throw the football basket. And I get it. You know, they're throwing the football pretty well. It's a little bit revisionist, but you wanted them to get some points there because any opportunity you have to get any points is so rare against Kansas City to go into halftime 25-10 or, you know, perhaps even score a touchdown some way, shape, or form would have would have changed so much about that game. But you know, they go in 22-10, and you're still feeling really good at that point, right? I felt really good about it. thought they had a chance if they come out of halftime, get a stop, score a touchdown, boom, you're right in it. So Casey comes out and scores. Obviously, there's the Nick Chubb fumble that happens after, but there's another point at which we go to the fourth quarter, uh, right before the fourth quarter. Maybe I'm not entirely sure if I remember when they threw the 75-yard touchdown pass that was actually in the fourth quarter. Brown scored with 10-24 left in the quarter, two-yard touchdown run. It's 29-20 with 10 minutes left. The Browns have been playing a defense, which for the most part, they did sprinkle in more than I think is originally talked about. They did sprinkle in some man-to-man with some Rob coverage, with some two-man. They did sprinkle it in. But for the most part, they've been keeping everything in front of them, playing some cover three, cover four, uh, a little bit of in-between stuff. Not much cover two, but mostly quarters, mostly some cover three sprinkled in. I thought, okay, it's going to take six, seven minutes for a touchdown drive maybe. That puts you, you know, at that point around like four minutes left, and the Browns just have to stay out in front of it, right? Maybe get a couple first downs, and you got a chance to ice the game away. Well, 75-yard touchdown later, it's 29-27. Miss a throw up the left sideline on a third down to David Njoku. Then you got a punt. You drop the punt after rewatching it. There's no doubt in my mind that Jamie Gillen, if he didn't panic, could have picked that ball up and punted it just just quick kicked it at that point and still done better than obviously what he accomplished. I don't know why he panicked. He panicked and ran. I thought it originally I had looked away for a second. I thought they ran a fake reminiscent to the fake they ran in Baltimore week one last year. I thought that was going to be Stefanski's thing. Like, Hey, let's run a week one punt fake every, every season. But uh, no, he just dropped it, panicked, didn't need to, to run out to the right. Could have honestly kicked it twice. He had so much time, but it is what it is. He dropped it. That puts the ball at the 15. Kansas City scores. All of a sudden, it's a completely different ball game. Trajectory changes 33-29. We all know the result. So it's crushing because I thought the Browns had done enough to win that football game. 
that part of it really sucks. I don't believe in the moral victory thing. I really don't. So my message above all else here, stay the freaking course, stay the course, right? It's, it's one game. You got it. You got to do the, pers- the, the perspective thing, right? Which is every single week is the week that you're in. And then the page turns Sunday night. You know, we've clicked over. I'm recording this at 1 a.m. Eastern time. This thing turns over and it is now a new day. It's a new week. It's Texans week. And if you let the Chiefs week, you know, hang around and impact your next week, let this loss fester into something else, then you start running into issues. You know, the Texans took care of business in Jacksonville. They're not a good team. Or they took it. They might have been at home. It might have been a home game. I can't even, I didn't even invest any thought in that game. But they won pretty handedly. And they're coming into Cleveland with, with confidence. Now, they're not nearly as talented as Cleveland, but they will arrive Sunday at First Energy Stadium with confidence that they can get the job done. So, if you let the Chiefs game linger, you're talking about a hangover in week two. You can't have it. So, I don't expect that. I think the coaching staff, the players, the leadership know they can't let those things happen, and they understand what has to be done to win football games that you're supposed to win now. But that's the challenge at hand. So I I hope they can respond to the challenge at hand. I expect them to. And again, my message is just to stay the course. They're good enough. What they left Arrowhead understanding is this. You can't make the mistakes you made. You know, the Nick, Nick Chubb fumble was quite unfortunate right? Uh, Juan Thornhill in the midst of a pile. Nick didn't see him come and gets his helmet on the football. Unexpected fumble that goes right to, uh, I can't remember the linebacker. It might've been Hitchens who recovered. I can't remember, but anyway, right to him. And it's a fumble recovery at the worst time. Cause you know, the, the chiefs were really starting to, uh, to mount their, their effort to come back in this game, especially that long drive right out of the second half. So that's a tough turn. And again, all three turnovers happen in the second half. I know they don't mark this as an official NFL stat turnover because it's a turnover on downs because it's not like Gillen fumbled. He just tried to run and was tackled. But there were three turnovers there, which is no doubt about that. So all three turnovers happen in the second half. And again, razor sharp margin for error. And the the scenario here is those three plays change the outcome of this game. Obviously, speaking of the third play, we have not referenced is the interception to close the football game. So that's that's the the frame of mind in which I am is stay the course. You're you're clearly good enough to compete and win in the toughest of environments against the conference's premier team. We all know what we saw from Buffalo with Pittsburgh. So I, you know, I think Buffalo is going to be fine, and I think Pittsburgh is going to be a little better than everybody thought they'd be, but. Those teams are not Kansas City level. You don't play another Kansas City until the playoffs in terms of sheer talent, cohesion, all of it. They're really good. So you don't run into another version of them, and you really don't run into a home environment like Kansas City, I don't think, personally, until uh, until that scenario where you're in the playoffs. Maybe you get them again, home or away. We'll see. But, I mean, I left obviously thinking that the Browns let a win get out, uh, get away from them, but I'm not defeated, and I don't think you should be defeated either. Because it's early, it's a marathon, stay the course, that's the message. Real quick before we start talking stats from this game, a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so just sheer numbers. First downs for Cleveland, 24, KC, 21. Cleveland outproduces first downs. Total net yards, 457 for Cleveland to 397 for Kansas City. Kansas City actually runs four more plays, sorry, five, 61 to Cleveland's 56. Cleveland, 8.2 yards per play, 6.5 for KC. Rushing net, 153 for Cleveland, 73 for KC. 304 pass net for Cleveland, 324 for KC. Five penalties apiece. Obviously, Cleveland with the two turnovers to the zero from Kansas City. Again, three if they want to track this the right way because the punt was a uh, definitely a turnover. So you normally would punt it away. But anyway, uh, one punt should be two punts to two. Uh, and then touchdowns four to four. Uh, time of possession is pretty similar. Browns held KC to two field goal attempts. I thought the Browns needed to score five touchdowns to win. They obviously didn't get five. They came up one touchdown short. Said it before the game. Said it when I talked to people on the Twitch channel at the OBR this week. Five was the number. They came up just a little bit short. Here's a thing that that gave Cleveland trouble. Nine of 13 on third downs for Kansas City to Cleveland's two of seven. That kind of dictated a lot of things, right? Cleveland hit big plays, chunk plays downfield, but Kansas City was able to effectively keep drives on the field and keep marching. So defensively for the Browns, let's talk about it before we dive into to the other side of the football. We'll talk sheer statistics first. And then we'll talk about performances. Anthony Walker, nine total tackles. Denzel Ward, six. John Johnson, five. Miles Garrett, four. MJ Stewart, four. Miles did get the credit for that sack. I know him and Clowney met at the quarterback on that last possession, but uh, uh, he gets full credit for that sack. I wasn't sure if they were going to split it. Jadevin Clowney, four tackles. Malik Jackson, three. Mac Wilson, three. Malik McDowell, three. Tack McKinley, two. And a couple others with two. JOK had two registered tackles as well. So let's talk Joe Woods. You know, people want to have that discussion. You lose Ronnie Harrison. I'm not doing the excuse stuff. I, I, I Listen, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. But it is a, it, you have to talk about losing a really good player. I think Ronnie Harrison's a really good player. I think anytime you lose Ronnie Harrison for MJ Stewart, it's clearly a loss in the level of player. Now, did that dictate any of the decisions they made in terms of how they were going to go about covered coverages? or responsibilities, or personnel in third down situations, I do not know. We do not get to speak to the defensive coordinator after the game, which is unfortunate. Uh, Obviously, that's something we would love to be able to do, but we don't get to hear those things. So we're left to conjecture here, right? We're left to to try to guess what they were trying to do. Uh, I don't know. Maybe things got more simplified. Maybe they didn't. I actually thought MJ Stewart played okay. They, they played a lot of, like I said earlier, quarters, cover three, tried to keep everything in front of them. The NFL, when you're playing explosive offenses, and Kansas City is the is the preeminent explosive office in the, offense in the NFL. People fear the quarterback, Pat Mahomes, more than they fear anybody else. You don't like doing things against Pat Mahomes that you like to do against other quarterbacks. The way he can escape, the way he can elude, the way he can throw from weird arm, arm angles, it makes him 
this generation's best quarterback. Now, eventually, believe it or not, Tom Brady is going to retire. That's going to happen at some point. And you can make the argument that he's a better quarterback right now, or maybe you could say Aaron Rodgers, when he clearly struggled week one. Pat Mahomes is the unicorn of quarterbacks, and how you defend him is different than defend anyone else because you're afraid not only of Pat, but you're afraid of what Travis Kelsey can do against your underneath coverage. If your linebackers can't cover the way they're supposed to, he will expose them. And if you cannot cover deep down the field, they have this young man named Nicole Hardman. They have this guy named Tyreek Hill, who obviously was a gigantic factor in this football game. We will talk about that, obviously. If you are afraid of being beat deep, it forces you to play softer coverages, keep everything in front of you, kind of funnel it, make an offense go 10, 12, 13, 14 plays downfield. That's a strategy. The Browns tried to do a little bit of both. You know, you, you figure you figure you can hold KC to four touchdowns and maybe a field goal or two. You got a really good chance to win, which is what they did, right? Your offense gets to five touchdowns, and if you can hold KC to a you know four touchdowns or three touchdowns and two or three field goals, you got a great chance. Again. That's what they did. They held them to 33. If the Browns got to five touchdowns, that's 35. That's what the goal was. You know, you, you don't like to put man on man against these guys all that often, even though you love Denzel. It's a tough matchup for anybody man to man. So you, what you're trying to do is create pressure with your front. So I thought the Browns actually pressured really well with their front. They got really good high side pressure. I thought Tack McKinley, I'm not sure he's going to grade out, but I thought he played pretty well. I thought Malik McDowell flashed early in the game and had some bursts out of halftime. Again, it was really hot. You had to remember it's 90 degrees in Kansas City, so it was really challenging the depth of everybody and kind of you could see how tired both sides of the football were late in the game. But I thought Tack McKinley played his butt off. High side pressure, energy plays, I thought he played well. The problem is, is the Browns kept rushing to the high side. Now Kansas City got two sacks, I believe. I'm checking the metrics here, but I believe Kansas City came away with two sacks, both of which came from Chris Jones. The difference is, and I know the Browns got a couple sacks too. Miles and Joe Jackson had one. Like the two sacks on Baker were not on on Baker struggling to navigate a pocket. Like they were on a, a play where Chris Jones beat Chris Hubbard easily to the high side, right? Bullied him, and then same thing against Jack Conklin. So when Chris Chris Jones was Chris Jones is playing end, he gave them two two rushes where Baker just had no chance. So he had to hold the ball for just an extra beat. He had no chance. While Mahomes has this uncanny ability. Of if you leave him any pocket room to escape, and if you continue to rush the high side, you know, both ends hard upfield, and if your defensive tackles are either engaged in trying to create penetration or not playing with their eyes up or whatever, they're not even athletic. Like the ball that Mahomes rolls to the right and throws to to Tyreek Hill for the 75-yard touchdown, again, just just wildly weird that you know John Johnson tries to turn to find the football at the last second, and that last second gives gives uh, Tyree Kill enough time to separate. If you'd have face-guarded him and just kind of tried to play through him, even a pass interference wouldn't have been the end of the world there. But again, that's living in a revisionist world. It was such a bad throw because Mahomes had to, to throw kind of fading away because he was being pursued, again, by a defensive tackle chasing him laterally. That's the problem. The thing I would have liked to see them do is spy a little bit more. They were blitzing JOK from depth. There are some examples of them blitzing him from depth, which it drives me crazy. You cannot blitz modern quarterbacks from deep depth on, on intermediate down and distances. You just can't do it because you're wasting a player. They picked up those blitzes so easily, right? They picked up uh, they picked up JOK on a, on a depth blitz on third and seven in the third quarter, about the 10-52 mark, if you want to go, go check it out. It might be the 10-32 mark where... 
It's third and seven, and they and they are manning up across the board, and they decide to send JOK, and he blitzes and runs in toward the center, tries to make a move. Mahomes just has high pressure, slides, steps up and slides out to the right, runs for eight yards easy. They need to be spying that guy. If you're going to take a guy out of coverage to blitz without a clear, a clear path for him to get home, why not just step up and have him spy Mahomes for the high pressure slide out of the pocket deal so that he can't do that? He beat them with extended plays all game. I talked to John Colosimo earlier this week about how you beat them in the backyard Mahomes stuff could not be a thing. And he did. He got the backyard throws off a couple different times where he just eluded pressure easily. You know, the only times he got sacked, he ran into Joe Jackson one time where Joe Jackson went inside. And then uh, I think the Miles play, he took a five-step drop out of the gun, which put his depth really deep. And with Orlando Brown and Lucas Nyang, who are not that athletic, they can't be high side chasers. They're not built that way. He is a a stay-within-the-pocket three-step quarterback or RPO-throwing quarterback for this offense and that's what they killed the Browns with. They didn't have any great coverage on Travis Kelsey. I think that what the Browns like to do with their zone stuff is more spot drop than understanding and pattern matching. And the Chiefs had a great feel for what they were going to get coverage-wise and knew that if we could get Travis Kelsey in certain alignments on Malcolm Smith, run it. If we can get Travis Kelsey aligned in certain formations on any linebacker, run it. Something I wanted them to do was get out of base. And they did get out of base in the second half. Uh, to their credit, but I thought, you know, when the, when Casey brings on a fullback or a second tight end, they're just window dressing a throw. So don't fall for that. Anytime Pat Mahomes turns around, hands it off, it's obviously a win for your, for your offense. They're not running the football to beat anybody this year. They're not going to run the football to beat you. And if they do, it's going to be death by a thousand cuts in that scenario. So just like absorb it. You know, to me, it's like play nickel, play pass coverage defenders, often and that's maybe where Ronnie Harrison and Grant Delpit could have been players who came down and played in the box a little bit more I know there's you got to have some feel for those positions to do it but I just thought that having Sione Takitaki and Mac Wilson on the field for so many snaps where they were just getting picked on and not being adept in in coverage scenarios and I, I like Mac Wilson in terms of the guy and how he cares about Cleveland but he's just not going to cut it here I mean he if he's playing more than 20 to 25 snaps a game, that's bad for your defense. He just gets lost. And I'm talking just lack of utter feel. I mean, we all know the embarrassing touchdown that happened there where he was just as easily sidestepped by a quarterback as anything I've ever seen for that scramble touchdown from Mahomes. But I'm just saying, like, several times in zone coverage, just not feeling any route coming into his area, not getting and closing down on the number three from the opposite side. So if he's the will linebacker, he's responsible with covering number three to the far side. He doesn't get there in time. They just didn't do a good job with it. And it drove me crazy. I mean, again, they sprinkled in some man to man. They put in, and when they went to some man to man, uh, man, you know, man free with a Rob, they, they put Denzel on, on Tyreek Hill, but Again, Tyreek Hill in the game goes 11 of 197. So whatever you're doing isn't working. They tried to run a Rob coverage where they would double Kelsey and then they would run single high and kind of chase Tyreek from the from the strong safety position, chase him across the field. That didn't work. You know, with under coverage from the linebacker, you saw that deep over route. They just dropped it over the linebacker's head before John Johnson could get there. That didn't work. They have to come up with an answer. If they are going to beat this team at some point, they have got to come up with a different way to defend Hill and Kelsey because in the two games that they have played back-to-back here, they have not had an answer. So 
figure it out because if you don't figure it out, you're never going to beat these guys. And again, I need to go back and reiterate my point from originally. I thought the defense played well enough to win. If they could find some sort of a, a, a comprehensive answer to Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey to keep them in check a little bit, you know, keep Tyree Kill down around 100. If you could cut Kelsey into the 50s or 40s, that's what you have to do. But again, you held him to 33 points. I thought the defense did enough to win. I don't like the base. They ran too much base, and I thought they, they're spot dropping too much. I would also like to see more spy the quarterback, but I thought they did enough to win. I thought they created enough opportunities to win. It was not a perfect defensive game, but again, I thought they did enough to win. And the offense having 22 points at halftime and only finishing this game with 29 it's a big disappointment. Big disappointment. I thought for the game they ran the football well. They ran a lot of two guard, or sorry, two offensive line pull uh, systems. I thought they ran that well. They didn't run wide zone efficiently, but I thought they they pulled people extremely well. Power counter. They ran that that counter scheme where Wyatt Teller didn't even have anybody to to block. You know his his guy. He's supposed to kick chases the tackle down blocking all the way inside. There's no one to block. It's the biggest hole I've ever seen for a touchdown run. Listen, KC's defense isn't great. The Browns are going to play better defenses. I mean, the KC will mug you and do different things, but they're going to face better defenses. They ran for, you know, 83 for Chubb on 15 carries, a couple touchdowns. Kareem Hunt, 6 for 33, a touchdown. Schwartz had a reverse for 17. Jarvis Landry had two carries, ended up that goal line. Obviously, the, the fly sweep, he scored a touchdown on down in the in the red zone. And then that, you know, throwback, they, were, they did a behind the, a backward pass that they could double pass out of, and he made a play out of it. So he runs two times 13 yards. Baker runs one times seven yards. It's pretty amazing, too. The guys who set these lines on things, man, Baker's line was seven and a half rushing yards. Ends up with one carry for seven. Just sort of bananas how spot on these guys are all the time. Baker, 21 of 28, 321 yards. One uh, one interception, no touchdowns. Njoku targeted five, which is cool. I mean, like... A couple people stood out to me in the wide receiver department. David Njoku was the guy. When they went 11 personnel, he was the dude. I would imagine when we look at snap counts tomorrow, I think the Browns got into the 20 and 11 personnel 20 different times. He was on the field a ton, and I think he might have been the highest snap count of anybody in the tight end room. It's a great decision. He is an effective downfield pass catcher, as we saw. Three catches, 76 yards, a long of 43. He's, he's good. He is good, and he should be focused on. Jarvis Landry has five targets, five catches, 71 yards. Again, the 32-yard catch there was a sort of pointless pointless catch because it was it was prevent right before half. So we cut some yards out of that for a realistic answer there. Anthony Schwartz, who I thought the Browns like red herring us on this thing. I don't know if that's the right fa- phrase, but they they decoyed it that we did not know that he was going to be this active on this team. I w- I'm very curious to see how many snaps he had because he had quite a few. And the, when the Browns went 13 personnel, which they had a ton of good plays out of 13 personnel, which is three tight ends, one back, one wide receiver, Schwartz was the guy. They stuck him out there in those scenarios. That big catch he had on the bobble up the right side when he, he initially bobbled the catch, that was out of 13 personnel. He was the dude. Now, what's interesting to me and very curious, because Donovan Peoples-Jones was the guy last year who they'd stick out there, kind of give Jarvis and Odell a break. They would stick him out there pretty much all of last year, but that was Schwartzwell. Like, I did not know he had earned that much trust. Three catches, 69 yards, a couple plays he could have made. The ball up the left sideline in the fourth quarter, Again, I would say not a good throw from Baker. I would say an adequate throw. He did not lead him like he needed to lead him, but ultimately it was a catchable ball. It needed to be a great play from the wide receiver, and Schwartz was within the realm of making it happen, but 
not not a great ball, but not a bad throw either. It just needed a play made, and unfortunately, Juan Thornhill, the safety from Kansas City, was the guy who made the play. So Schwartz had a chance, and obviously that ball there I referenced earlier in the two-minute drill down down uh, down near the goal line where the ball ended up landing, just a miscommunication. But for that young man to play as well as he did right off the bat, and if you include those 17, 17 rush yards, he pushed close to the 100 total yards for the game. I was very impressed, excited to see how they keep using him, and um, way more competent here early on than I thought he would be. Excited about him. Kareem Hunt, three catches, 28 yards. Thought he did a nice job. Kind of nice screen pass there right before the interception. Austin Hooper, three catches on the first drive, I think. He had three catches on the first drive or something like that for, for 28 yards. Then did not, 27 yards, excuse me, did not have another catch in the game. Nick Chubb had two for 18. Harrison Bryant had one for 17. Donovan Peoples-Jones, only one target, one catch, four yards. So we'll see if they get him more actively involved if uh, if Odell doesn't play next week. But that's your stats offensively. So I thought Baker, again, I thought Baker played fine, pretty pretty damn sharp. I, I shouldn't say fine. Pretty damn sharp for four quarters and into the fourth quarter. And then if you look at the Schwartz underthrow a little bit there, again, I know that the ball needs to be caught, needs to play, needs to be made. It just wasn't a perfect ball. He had that third down before Jamie Gillen dropped the punt where he had all day in the pocket and had Njoku kind of working back toward him up the left sideline. He threw that short. Obviously... The unfortunate situation on the interception where I do believe he was throwing it away. You know, I, I believe he's stepping up, sliding out. He, If you're telling me that he was throwing that football to Harrison Bryant, Mike Hughes is standing right in front of him. So you're telling me Baker doesn't see him or the guy sort of chasing from inside. Like, it would be unbelievable. It'd be tantamount to madness if Baker was throwing that football. I cannot believe it. He said he wasn't, said he was throwing it away. I have no reason to believe he wasn't. If you want to be like, well, he needs to throw it at his feet, guy. Okay, that's sort of the revisionist history due to the outcome. I mean, you can throw it at someone's feet or you can throw it three feet into the or 30 feet into the stands. It doesn't matter. Sounds like he, based on what he said after the game, he was trying to throw it away. Uh, Dan Sorensen, again, thorn in the brown side, number 49, is blitzing, sort of gets caught up in traffic, ends up looping around and then catching and clipping, clipping Baker's knee and his foot. And that's why he falls down as he's trying to throw it. It's just, you know, Baker doesn't know. He can't see him. So it's like, okay, yeah, we'll put it in the ground. Well, I mean, again, that's like, that's just outcome-based thinking. Like, I think he was throwing it away. He was doing what he was supposed to do. trying to not take a sack there, and that happens. It's really unfortunate. Again, it's a make-or-miss league. It's like they say that in basketball. I think it's the same in football. You got to lead them to a touchdown and win the game, or people are going to find a thing to complain about. And in this scenario, they are finding a thing to complain about. So, you know, he's it's a it was a cool opportunity. Could have made uh could have made a really memorable part of the early part of the year here, but it's not the end of the world. It's really not the end of the world. So I'm trying to think of any other things I wanted to add to this game. I don't have anything now. You know, you guys know I come back with comprehensive breakdowns on both sides of the football. I hope to have the all twenty two pretty early in the week. I'm gonna be traveling to Dallas for work engagement stuff. Uh, I will be a little disconnected, but I will be doing my podcast, obviously, and uh, putting out my my film room stuff Tuesday as well. So uh, all of my regular scheduled podcast, I will have something up on Baker in written form on the OBR tomorrow. You can check that out. I'll have more thoughts gathered to talk about. I'm sure I'm leaving something out from this game, but it's late. 
I got to travel tomorrow. I'm trying to think of everything I can possibly think of. But as you guys know, when I do my offense-defense breakdowns, I will usually cover it in there. The only thing from a coaching standpoint that I thought came up was the the fourth and seven from their – I don't know what down and distance they were, but they, they chose to punt there in the fourth quarter instead of going for that fourth – I think it was fourth and seven – and it got some debate, right? It got some debate from there's some some bots that are out there on on Twitter that will calculate the the whether it was the right move or the wrong move to punt in a certain given situation. So I'm trying to find this information quickly if I can before I jump out of here about whether Stefanski should have actually gone for that. Uh, let's see if we can find it. Uh, doesn't look okay. We have it here. So the recommendation was fourth and seven from the Cleveland 28. Now there were like, I don't know, five minutes left, five minutes and 30 seconds. The Browns had three timeouts. Uh, I think the chiefs are down to two as they had called one earlier. So the percentages said the recommendation was a medium go for it. So you get some sort of outcome that, that said, if you look that this, this bot says it looks at all the decisions at this time at five minutes left, you're down four what what all of the outcomes are to a punt in any given scenario, they actually labeled it as a, a situation where he probably should have gone for it. Now, it worked out, obviously, worked out because Cleveland was able to get the ball back, but you never really, you never really like giving Mahomes the football back when he can just bleed the clock out. So it worked out. If you go back and look, though, if you go back and look at that drive where Casey takes the sack, on the, so they get a first down, and then on that the second down play, it's second and 10, Mahomes throws a slant to Tyreek Hill that ends up getting broken up by Denzel, but he did not see the the, the blitz from depth. Again, I hate blitzing Mahomes from depth. I hate from, from depth. Uh, that means blitzing from your starting five or six yards off the line of scrimmage and blitzing him. There, It's just against that guy who gets the football out so quick, it doesn't work well. Baker even eats up blitzes from depth. He, he He's usually pretty good at that. So I just don't like it, period. They blitzed, and and Kelsey's standing in the middle of the field. He's, again, number three in the formation. That means he's nearest to the line of scrimmage and trips. He takes off up the middle of the field, kind of curls in. There's nobody there. And if you go back and rewatch this game, maybe this, this game ends up in a bizarro world, ends up with Cleveland going down and scoring and winning the game, however fashion that would have been, how much time's left. It would have been a look who Mahomes missed on second down. They could have bled the clock out and won the game. Again, that's just revisionist stuff, but he missed it. You you really don't want to bank on that sort of stuff with KC. So I thought, listen, I thought Stefanski was pretty good with decision-making all game. I loved his aggressiveness on fourth downs. I loved his, the Chiefs were, I think, offside on the on the first PAT. He runs the, 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 uh, the offense back on the field to go for two. I thought he was pretty good. The fourth quarter... Little dicey with some stuff, some decisions there, but I can't blame him. I would have punted that football too because you don't get that first down there, fourth and seven. You're essentially calling game there. It's whether it's whether you want to give your chance to get the football back or you want to try to end it right there, right? Like because that's the decision you're making. The game's either over at that point or it's over later. So you would you rather take it later? I just me personally, I would have punted that. I don't think it's as go as as clear cut as some people try to make that out to be or some. Twitter bot tries to make it out to be. I think they made the right decision, trusted their their defense could get one stop, get the football back. They did. They just didn't capitalize on it. So otherwise, don't have a ton of issues. I thought their play calling was okay. I liked it. I liked that they – sorry, okay in the fourth quarter. Otherwise, throughout the game it was great. I thought they were in a great rhythm. thought they were doing fine. 
The turnovers are things like the dropping of a punt. Can't do anything about it. Nick Chubb fumbling. Can't do anything about it. I didn't think they were bad in the second half. They just ca- didn't capitalize on opportunities, right? So didn't capitalize on opportunities. But from a personnel standpoint, what I saw from David Njoku getting all of those opportunities, very excited about that. Anthony Schwartz coming along way further than I thought he would be. Very excited about that. And for the most part, I would give Baker a B to B plus. I thought it was a pretty good debut. Again, in a hostile environment. An extremely hostile environment. That is as tough as, a, as, as can be for a, hey, welcome back to crowds in the stadium. Here's Arrowhead, one of the loudest places to play in the NFL. And I thought they were pretty good. Two things before we separate for, for, the, for the night. You can't have the illegal formation stuff, the illegal shift. You, they did it twice. And I think, again, I would like to ask this question, but both of them look like they were on the quarterback for being too big a hurry. What I mean by that is somebody goes in motion and a player steps off the line of scrimmage and another player stepping on. So the wide receiver steps back, another guy steps on. You got to let him get set. That happened two times, and those sorts of penalties that put you five yards back from where you are can kill a drive. You can't have it. It put the Browns in the fourth quarter in a tight uh, situation, and it happened early in the game. They were over to overcome the first half issue there, not the second. The other thing, two offside penalties on Miles Garrett. I love Miles Garrett might be my favorite Brown I've ever watched. He's up there with Joe Thomas. He's got to stop with this. And I know Clowney had one too. He he put himself, they were third and 17. Mahomes almost throws an interception. He jumps offside. There was another one where they were in a, a deep down in distance and he's giving them free yards. He's got to stop doing that. I don't know. I don't know how. There's a lot of, there's obviously millions of great things Miles Garrett does. This one thing though, it is like an every game thing. I would think a guy who's a perfectionist like Miles, like there's some responsibility to be accountable there. You, I know Baker needs to be accountable on the illegal shift stuff. Or if it's not on Baker and it's somebody doing something in a timely manner because the play clocks weren't winding down, you got to do it in a timely manner. Uh, I think Baker was in too big of a rush. I just, like I said, I didn't think that the play clock was winding down. There was time. He just, you know, it's a, it's a different, crowded, loud, nerves are kicking in for the first game a little bit. But those things can't happen. And again, I, I, both both Miles and Clowney jumped. And there was a there was a play there specifically where Mahomes almost threw an interception on a football where Miles jumped. I think MJ Stewart almost picked it off near the goal line. So you would hate for that have to, to for that sort of thing to happen and miss out on an opportunity to create a rare turnover. Pat has not thrown an interception in the month of September in his entire NFL career. So again, I'm I'm being picky here, but it is a little bit annoying at this point that there's like one or two times every game where 95 is offside. He's got to correct it. It's a mental focus thing, and Clowney had one too. You just can't have it. So hopefully Jed Wills is okay. He seems to be tweeting from a positive standpoint. You never really know until the next day with an ankle injury. That's unfortunate. It sounds like the Browns got out of this thing otherwise unscathed with injuries. We will see what the situation is with Odell. A shout-out to our Brad Stainbrook for being on the forefront of this thing with information that he was told about the doctors not necessarily feeling like it was a great thing for him to go yet. He tested it, and, it, and it's true. They were they were going to be patient with this thing. So uh, I don't feel the need to ramp it up either the next two weeks, maybe, maybe Chicago Week 3, maybe Minnesota Week 4. We'll see how that all shakes out. But I didn't, again, I think, you know, there's a couple scenarios where Odell probably comes down with the football in some scenarios, but he wasn't the reason they lost that football game by any stretch, not having him out there. Would have been nice, 
but he's not the only reason. So, yeah, I, I think you got to be patient with Odell. You want the right form of Odell Beckham back. You don't want anyone who feels rushed or a guy who's not confident about certain parts of his game. And I've talked about this ad nauseum. He is a violent violent cutter on those legs it's not a stand in the pocket joe burrow scenario it's not even a saquon barkley one cut get up field odell will make several violent cuts on his legs on any given route he puts a lot of pressure on his ligaments and joints and especially his knees so yeah man it's gonna be a, a slow process as i saw as i sort of said all offseason the same thing with grant delpit you got guys coming back from very serious injuries. Do not be surprised if they are not a big part of things in the early portion of the season. There are 17 games to be played. Let's let it stretch out. So again, to my message point, stay the course. What I left this game thinking is this is a very good Browns football team. They can win against anybody in the NFL. I truly believe that. They are not just a good on paper team. They are a good on field team. Eliminate the little bonehead mistakes. Make a play when it matters at the end of the football game, and you're talking about 1-0. So stay the course. Believe in your direction. I believe Kevin Stefanski will be saying the same things. Believe in the process. Believe in the things that you do, right? The work. They talk about it all the time. Believe in the work. And I think they'll keep putting in the work. Turn the page. Move on to the Texans. We'll be back later this week. We'll talk, like I said, over the next two days about offense and defense reviews. Have my Baker study on Tuesday. We'll talk a little O-line with Kyle Murphy as well. Wrap it all up. Talk a little bit of defense maybe in there too. Have a great chalk talk session. Then we'll turn the page to the next week about midweek. Start talking about the Texans and how they get it done. So have a great Monday, everybody. Hopefully, you know, you've slept off that loss by this point and you're ready to move on and, and look at the, the ways in which the Browns get better. I will try to uh, uh, illustrate those for you, the ways in which they let this one get away and the ways in which they can get better and be ready to jump out to a 1-1 2021 season. Thanks for joining this pod. It got a little long-winded. There's a lot to talk about. Thanks for joining today. Again, have a great Monday, everybody, and, uh, and go Browns.